cold outside, isn't it? I despise, I despise cold weather. I don't know about you guys. There's a reason the birds fly south for a winter. They're smarter than I am. And uh, some, I know some of you just love it. I've got a friend, and she, she loves cold, rainy weather. I said, you're nuts. There's no way. I, I would just soon it be 70 degrees all year long, and, and I could be happy with that. But I hope your day has been good. I was able for a little bit to take a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a well-needed, I wouldn't say well-deserved, but well-needed nap this afternoon. I don't know about you, but uh, I want us to look tonight um, at a passage of Scripture we'll spend a little bit of time on from Matthew chapter 2. If you've got a Bible anywhere close to you or somebody else does, uh, take a look at it. And I, 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 Matthew's the first book in the New Testament in the second chapter, and so uh, we're going to look at that tonight. We have been in a series looking at the story of Christmas and how there's so much more behind the story than we first realized. And so uh, tonight we'll look at, at a passage of Scripture that includes a story that's probably very familiar to us. In fact, this morning when, uh, when the, the children's sermon was being given, and the nativity was all set up. Uh, if, if, if you were here this morning, then you know that, that all of the, the pieces were all in place and the wise men were there. And we're going to look at the wise men a little bit tonight. Uh, what's interesting is that there's 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 been some debate on this particular passage of scriptures to when it was and 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 how it all shook down and we'll get into a little bit of that but I, I want us not to focus just on the details but on what this really can say to us I am a firm believer in the in the longer that I live and and the more that I read the Bible I'm a firm believer that that there is nothing that will uh, impact your life like the Word of God and I don't know where you uh, where you are with that. Uh, I know for some of us, maybe you read the Bible each and every day and it's an active part of your life. For some of us, we read it occasionally or maybe we only think about it when we're here at church or maybe we just, you know, whatever, that's just another book to us. But, uh, but the truth is this, uh, that the Bible has uh, the, the power to change your life in a, in a, in a way that, that maybe you don't feel at first that you need. Uh, but the great news about what God does is He brings to light needs that we didn't feel at first, um, and, and then meets those needs in only the way that He can. So as we look at the Scripture tonight, here's what I'd like for you to do. I would like for you to, as we read along, I'm going to pause every once in a while and just kind of give you some background information, okay? So it may seem a little bit choppy. I don't know how you, you know, how you like that or not, but I, but I, I want you, when, when we do that, I just want you to, to pause for just a moment and and put yourself somewhere on the street or in the story or somewhere. Just kind of get in your mind what, what would have been going on, all right? And we can all do that, whether you're a Bible student or not. You can, you can imagine, okay, and, and, and picture yourself there. So um, we pick up the story after, um, after uh, Jesus had been, had been born, and, and probably at this point he's, you know, six, six months old, something like that, to up to maybe 20 months old. That's, that's typically what most people have agreed upon, that, and that's how old he is. And so um, he is not, at this point, in the manger anymore. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the nativity scene that we normally see is a little bit skewed from time to time. And, and uh, it was mentioned this morning, obviously, that the wise men came at a different time. And, you know, I appreciate that. That was good. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, they're associated closely with the Christmas story. So let's pick it up. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, 
wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. And so we have the, the wise men, and, and, and these guys, uh, the truth be told, there was no, there's no record of how many there were. Uh, we, we have all the songs and all the nativities that, that put three of them there, but there's no, there's no record of that. Most of, most of the, the traditional numbering of three comes out of uh, some legends and church history things and just some, some you know, traditions, so to speak. And, and so we really don't know how many there were. We don't know what country they came from. All we know is they lived somewhere east of Palestine. They came from the east. That's all that we really know. We don't really know how they even got there. Uh, typically, they're associated riding on camels, and, and maybe that was true, maybe it wasn't. And, and at the same time, those details are, are probably not as important as we would originally think they are. Uh, these guys, uh, typically wise men, uh, if, you, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know in, um, in the story of a guy named Daniel who uh, was, was later named the chief of all the wise men for the king because he was able to interpret a dream for the king when the, when the other wise men could not. And so uh, typically these guys were of sort of a, a priest, sort of royalty kind of class. So they're, they're upper class guys. Uh, most likely they would have some money and an entourage with them. Uh, they, they would probably not come alone just on their camel, just riding along. They would probably make an entrance. And so uh, normally these guys were into uh, astronomy and, and even astrology, a lot of times into the occult, uh, things like that. And, and that's sort of what they, what they would have typically been, um, been associated with. Uh, probably, as I said, traveled with a lot of soldiers and servants and sort of made an entrance uh, because of how powerful they were in the East. They would not have been accompanied alone. And so they had the, the appearance and demeanor of royalty. And, and yet the guys that we see in this story were different than typical wise men because they had been influenced by Judaism. There was obviously something about them that was a little bit different because they, they didn't come just to do magic and things like that. They came seeking the one who... In, in Jewish custom would have been known as the Messiah. And so these guys were a little bit different. And, and, uh, and then they, they arrive unexpectedly in, in Jerusalem during the time of a guy named King Herod. Now, we talked this morning about Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus declared that Herod would be king of the Jews. And so you can imagine his curiosity when these guys show up who have followed uh, something like a star. There's no real definite... Uh, conclusion on whether it was a star, whether it was a combining of two planets that looked like a star, whether it was just the glory of God that they followed, and, and it leads them to Bethlehem, uh, or in Jerusalem, rather. But King Herod had been called king of the Jews, so when they show up looking for the king of the Jews, they say, hold on a second, I'm right here. And, and yet they said, no, he's just been born king of the Jews. And Herod was, uh, was an interesting guy. He was known as Herod the Great. Uh, he was not Jewish, but he married into Judaism, and so he was, in his mind at least, a little bit more of a legitimate king to the Jewish people. He was as far from that as you could get. Uh, he was a, a capable warrior. He was a guy who was a good public speaker and diplomat. He revived a lot of cities, built some others, but he was also very cruel and, and merciless. It's, uh, as we'll find out in the story, he was incredibly jealous for his power and his position. 
and suspicious of basically everyone. In fact, uh, he had his brother-in-law uh, and later his wife, uh, her mother, and three of his own sons killed uh, because he perceived them as threats to him. And so this guy, although he to some would have been a capable ruler, was also a ruthless sort of guy. And it's interesting that uh, he was so hated uh, in, in Jerusalem by the Jewish people that uh, right before his death, as he was getting ill and he knew that it was only a matter of time before he would die, he had several of the most distinguished Jewish people, uh, probably some of, their, you know, some of their heroes, so to speak, in their community, some of the people they really loved. He had them arrested and thrown in prison with orders that as soon as he died, they were to be executed so that there would be mourning and, and weeping in Jerusalem and nobody could tell who it was for. And so this, this is a guy that we're dealing with. Herod knew that nobody in Jerusalem would weep, would cry because he died. So he had all their most famous and most loved people killed so that there would be crying in Jerusalem upon his death and nobody could tell who it was. And so you obviously, from the very beginning of the story, have two totally different types of people. You have the wise men who, who are influenced by Judaism and are seeking the Son of God. And you have Herod who is probably at this point one of the most ruthless and evil people on the planet. And, and we pick up the story in verse 7. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Obviously, he's, he's a sinister guy. He's got some other intent. After hearing this, verse 9, After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above, a, above the place excuse me, where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Those words there kind of combine as superlatives to say there's really no way to explain their, their joy and their, their amazement. And, and, and Matthew, the writer here, just lists a whole bunch of stuff. And some of you may say they were... Uh, you know they were overjoyed or they were filled with joy and they were whatever he just couldn't he couldn't figure out the words this is just get yourself in in the mindset they walk up and they finally see what they had been looking for when they uh, entering the house verse 11 they saw the child with Mary his mother and falling to their knees they worshiped him then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts gold frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their own country by another route. Verse 13, After they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. So here we are, just kind of regrouped for just a second. In the story, the wise men have shown up, it caused some pandemonium for Herod, obviously, because uh, he's now uh, threatened with, his, uh, with somebody who is there to replace him. They've gone to Bethlehem. They've worshipped Jesus. Uh, they've given him gifts. And then the angel shows up to Joseph, first to the, the wise men, tell them what Herod's up to, then to Joseph to say something is, is about to happen. You need to get out. And then look at verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. Now, you remember back over in the, in the previous verses, look at verse 3 again. When Herod heard this, talking about the wise men looking for the king of the Jews, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now, it's interesting that all Jerusalem was disturbed as well. Now, the, the people in Jerusalem were Jewish people. They weren't disturbed because there was going to be a replacement for King Herod. They hated King Herod. 
They didn't like him at all. They were disturbed, however, because they knew that if there was any threat to King Herod whatsoever, that something bad was going to happen. That he was the type of guy that, even if there was a remote association with anything that was a threat to him, that he was going to take them out. And so if he was a guy who, simply so there'd be crying upon his death, had executed innocent people, what if there was a legitimate threat to his rule? And so that's why all of Jerusalem was disturbed. He flies into a rage, verse 16. He gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Now, it's interesting. I just kind of fill in the gaps for you. And, uh, there are probably... Uh, Bethlehem was a small town. Uh, there, there weren't that many uh, people in Bethlehem. So the number of, of, of young male children that were massacred... Most, uh, most folks would, would say it was probably about 12 to 20. Uh, now, we typically would think, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and so it doesn't, you know, lessen the crime, so to speak, but just kind of gives you that's what we're dealing with. And so, um, so Herod has all of those children murdered because he figures that in doing so, he would eliminate, obviously, the threat that Jesus was because according to the time when the wise men told him that most likely Jesus was two years old, were under that, then what was spoken, verse 17, through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A verse was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. Verse 19, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who sought the, li- the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went up and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he will be called a Nazarene. Here's, here's, here's what, we, what we have, obviously. The wise men and you have Herod. You have two completely different people in the story. And, and they're, they're all focused, obviously, on Jesus, and they have different reactions to Him. And, and I want you to think about it this way, and we'll hash this out briefly, and then we'll be out of here. I think we can clearly see from this story that we'll do one of two things as, as it relates to Jesus. We'll either worship Him or we'll be threatened by Him. Think about it in your own life. Think about the people that you know. There's some people who completely worship Jesus. They give Him their entire lives. They live all that they can for Him. They give Him everything. Then there are other people who are threatened by Him. And I'm not even talking about people who you might first think, probably people in this room who feel threatened by Jesus, maybe even people who call themselves Christians. We probably have in our church, in our community, people who would call themselves Christians and yet Jesus is sort of a threat to them. They probably wouldn't perceive it that way, but think about it, think about it this way. The wise men, they were the ones who worshipped Jesus. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they, that, that was their mission, to seek and find Him and worship Him. When it talks about that they, that they, they were saying, where, where is this king of the Jews? Where has this baby been born? That, the wording there implies that they went around to everybody they met, that they went through the town and they just said, where, where is He? And if somebody couldn't tell them, they went to somebody else. Where is he? We've seen this star. We've seen this sign from God that points to the fact that the Son of God has been born. Where is he? It's interesting. They showed up from a foreign country, probably thinking, well, in Jerusalem, 
that's the heart of where the, the Jewish people is and are, and, and that's where Judaism you know, lives and, and breathes. I mean, surely they would know that Jesus has been born, and yet it, it kind of implies that they were the only ones who knew about it. They were the only ones who were seeking after Jesus that day. And, and so they went around asking everybody. They weren't going to be satisfied until they had found Him and had the opportunity to worship Him. Nothing, as the wording is used, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Nothing had brought them in their lives as much joy and inner contentment and inner fulfillment. Nothing had caused them more reason to celebrate than when they, when they knew they had come face to face with Jesus Christ. They fell on their knees in worship. That, that when it talks about that, it, it literally means that they were on their faces before Jesus with the implication they... That, that word worship would, would kind of imply the, the kissing of his feet or, or just being able to kind of just touch his garment in some way. That would, that would be the type of worship we're talking about. We don't typically think about that in worship, but obviously in our society we, we bow down to certain things and certain people and we can, we can see how we have given our lives to certain things. They, they were totally involved with worship of Jesus. They opened their treasures and worshiped him with their whole being. I, I love the wording... The particular version of the Bible that I'm using tonight is called the Holman Christian Standard Bible. And you may have a King James or an NIV or, or something else in front of you. And this wording in particular, I, I like in, in verse 11. It says, they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts. I, I know, and, and, and again, I, I've said over and over, and I firmly believe it, that, that our church is a very generous and very giving church. And and I, I say that because I think it reflects the fact that, that we, we know who Jesus is. And, and when you worship Jesus, it affects everything. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer uh, based upon the Word of God, not because of sim- my simple opinions, but if, if we don't give to Jesus, I'm, I'm a firm believer that we don't truly, truly worship and truly in our deepest parts of our soul truly love Him. Because the Bible says that we will respond in giving and obviously uh, we we would give now i think that our love can develop over time don't read into anything but i think it can it can develop over time but immediately when they came face to face with jesus they opened their treasure these guys were loaded they 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 were loaded they came with an entourage of people i mean they they, they were they were the famous guys and they opened their treasures to a poor couple with a baby who was born in a cave or in a stable laid in a manger they did it because they believed He was the Son of God. And they obeyed God when they heard from Him to return a different way. And then you have Herod, whose position and power were threatened because of this baby that had been born. His status quo, what he had always known, was being threatened because Jesus showed up. And he tried to remove Jesus from the scene, obviously, by exterminating all the baby boys. In Bethlehem, he fought to keep himself in control. As you think about the fact that you'll either worship Jesus or be threatened by him, we can see from the story there are several reasons that we have to to worship Jesus when we find him. And the first one, obviously, is what the the wise men found was that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the hope for the world, the the one who would bring salvation, who would forgive us for our sins. It, it's interesting that, that Herod, no matter how evil he was, no matter how many people he could have exterminated, that, that, that we have cause to worship God because there is no enemy that we face that is greater than God. And I don't know, 
you know, in my life I've faced different enemies before, and they're not always visible, and in your life I'm sure it's the same way, but there is, there is nothing, there's no enemy that you face that can stop God's plan. There's nothing that you encounter that can stop Him from doing what He wants to do in your life. And so the discouragement that you may face this time of year, the depression you may feel from time to time, maybe nobody knows about, the, the things that you deal with in your own mind, in your own heart, the obstacles you face in your life, the things that seem to come against you over and over and over again, I want you to understand that if Herod was no match for the plan of God, and he tried to exterminate everybody he could get his hands on that was a threat to him, if that enemy was no match for God, then clearly the enemies that we face are no match for God. And when submitted to Him, when given to Him, when we seek after Him, we realize there's nothing that I face. There's no discouragement that I face that God can't turn around. There's no depression that I face that God can't bring me out of. There's no habit, no addiction. There's nothing at all, no enemy in my life that I face that God can't deliver me from through the power of His Holy Spirit. There's there's no obstacle in my life that I face that God can't knock down in front of me. It's interesting to me that the angel appeared to Joseph and said, before Herod had given the order, Herod's about to do something. God had already gone ahead of Joseph and cleared the way. His plan was going to be fulfilled. There's nothing that we face that can stop God's plan. There's nothing we face that God cannot overcome. We also find that worship of Jesus is a whole life experience, 24 hours a day that involves all of us. The wise men opened up their treasures. They held nothing back from Him. And the truth is this, the Bible is clear, that one day all of us, whether we have chosen to do so here on earth or we are simply compelled to do so because Jesus will get glory, all of us one day will worship Jesus. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the choice we have to make is we're going to do it now or are we going to wait until we've been condemned to an eternity in hell apart from God and then realize... He is. The great news is that we can worship Him now, and there's plenty of reasons to do so. And, and He gives us the opportunity to do that. And you think about Herod, who was threatened. The wise men worshipped, but Herod was threatened. And you may say, well, how in the world am I even... You know, that didn't make sense. I mean, how could I be threatened by Jesus somehow in my life? And that, you know, come on. But, but how many of us just kind of settle for just getting by spiritually you know we just we're okay kind of where we are you know hey that's great for you but you know for me i got a life to live man i you know i'm gonna i need to i just I need to do my thing i need to kind of go out and see what what else is out there a little bit or i'm just gonna you know sunday is great and hey i came on sunday night. i'm glad you're here by the way i know it's cold and and so you know i came and and but you know that's enough i mean we're threatened sometimes by jesus in our own lives because we just kind of stop short of all out of just all-out worship of Him. Maybe we aren't growing spiritually. You know the Bible commands that we grow spiritually? It doesn't leave an option. It doesn't say that, well, if you, if you give your life to Jesus, that, you know, that's enough. Just stay right where you are. The Bible commands. Paul said we are to grow up into Him who is the head of all things, talking about Jesus. It, the Bible commands it. And so if we are not growing spiritually, then somehow we're threatened a little bit by Jesus. Well, you know, well, those people who really give their lives to Jesus, I mean, don't they get sent somewhere? You know, they always have to go, you know, somewhere. I mean, you ever felt like that? You know, if I really give my life, where's he going to send me? 
what's going to happen? I can't guarantee you he's not going to send you somewhere. But at the same time, I can't guarantee you that just because you live all out for Jesus, you're going to have to go spend the rest of your life in some foreign country somewhere. If God calls you to do that and you don't, then I hope I'm the first one standing there kicking you out the door. Go out there and do it because you're going to miss out on what God has for you. But, but we, we sometimes refuse to grow spiritually because we're threatened. What would that mean for me? What would that do in my life? Or, or, or one of my favorites uh, that I have given, I guess, given into is to refuse to talk about Jesus openly. Ever been there? And, and you just kind of can dance around it and talk about church. And, uh, and you talk about, hey, we've got a great church, isn't it awesome? And, and, we, and I love our church, there's no question. I've been here less than four months, and, and I love you guys already. And I love our church and what God is doing here. And yet, if all we talk about is our church, and we stop short of talking about Jesus because He's a threat to us, because people can talk about church, and that's okay, because people are comfortable with church. There's lots of churches. People, are people aren't comfortable with Jesus. He does something to us. He messes us up a little bit. He, he can be a threat. Or maybe we only follow Him when it's convenient or when it pays off for us. When, when we see the immediate payoff. I, I, I did this, I prayed, and immediately this happened. Sometimes when it's not so convenient, when we're not in a place where people are okay with that, sometimes Jesus becomes then a threat. Or Sometimes we are threatened by Jesus, so all we do is just the rituals and, and obligations of, of the Christian life. We go to church. We, 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 we say the right things when we're at church. We act the right way when people are looking. And we do those things because if we did anything more with Jesus, then somehow it would change something about us. And Herod obviously was threatened by Jesus. And we can be too sometimes because maybe he's not exactly what we're looking for. He doesn't do things the way that we think they should be done. I've sometimes been bad about that. I say, you know what, God, I want your will to be done. But, you know, if you could do it this way and, and at this time, that I would really know it's your will then. I guarantee you that I would recognize and I'd follow you. There's no question. And yet God then does something totally different. Man, that's hard. And so we're either going to worship him or we're going to be threatened by him. And that's true for us as individuals. You could probably think about how that plays out in your life on a daily basis. Of how maybe you're threatened by Jesus or you're just all out. You know what, I don't, I don't care what anybody else thinks because my one goal in life is to please Jesus. And maybe that's you and I pray that it is. So it's true for you as an individual and it's also true for us as a church. And I thought about this because I think a lot of times churches in general, and I hope that we will never become one, but churches in general can sometimes be threatened by Jesus. Because when Jesus comes alive in your church, stuff happens that you didn't plan for, and, and people change, and, and, and sometimes it becomes a little bit uncomfortable because then people start to talk openly about Jesus, and we just want to talk about church. Hold on. And sometimes it, it brings people that we're not real comfortable with, that maybe don't act like we act, and they don't talk like we talk, and they don't look like we look, and it's just different sometimes. But when Jesus comes alive in your church, He's then in control, and it changes things. And I, I want it never to be said of us that, that we didn't experience God fully because we were threatened by what, what might happen if Jesus really came alive in our church. And I don't even know what to tell you that would look like because I'm not in control of that. 
I can't spell it out for you and get a five-year plan together and say, we're going to have Jesus come alive in our church, and it's going to look like this and like this and like this, because then I'm threatened by Jesus, because if it doesn't look like that, what am I going to do? I don't know what would happen, really, if Jesus came alive in our church in a way that maybe he hasn't before. But I know that if he does, it'll be good. And I know that if we as individuals are wanting him to do that in our own lives, it'll spill over into our church, and we won't care who he brings in, because that's one more person that might meet Jesus. It might spend eternity with him forever. It works for both as individuals and for us as a church. We have the choice to make as we leave here, as we go to work or home or wherever it is we go, school, the rest of the week, wherever it is, the choice is, are we going to worship Jesus like the wise men? They, they weren't satisfied till they found Him. Nothing was going to get in their way. Nothing at all of worshiping Jesus, the one who, who defeated every enemy that they had along the way, who helped them out and so on. Or are we going to be threatened by Him and just kind of maintain status quo and, and, and not really get involved with who Jesus really is, but just be okay with where we are? That works for us as individuals and for us as a church. And my prayer is for us as individuals that, that we'll really see that step by step in just worshiping Jesus with all that we are, that He does things in your life that are simply miraculous, and I cannot explain it. He creates in you a new heart. A new person is created in you. And it's good. He's not a threat because He loves and He cares infinitely. And what He brings is infinitely better than anything we can imagine. And for our church, that we would worship Him with all that we are. And that we would give to Him everything that we are. And in so doing, we'd see Him come alive. And we'd not be threatened by that, but we would simply fall again at His feet in worship to say, God, we cannot explain what You're doing, but we're thankful for it. We see new people coming to Jesus. We see people that we never thought would have their lives turned around, but simply because we're no longer threatened by what Jesus might do, but we're welcoming it, and we get to see it. And so you'll either worship Jesus or be threatened by Him. The wise men chose to worship Him. Herod chose to be threatened by Jesus, and Herod now spends eternity apart from God because he was threatened and refused to let Jesus in. So what will it be? A choice will be made for each of us and each moment of every day. And kind of as we talked about this morning, you'll encounter situations this week. You probably think of them already. Where I know I'm going to be tempted to kind of be threatened, and I don't know if I should really, you know, be a Christian around that person. Or, you know, it's, or, you know what, I'll have opportunity to fully worship with my entire existence. Worship, by the way, is not something that you simply attend. It's something that you do as you breathe in and breathe out every day. This is a worship service, so to speak, but your life lived as a worship experience will be far greater than any worship service you could ever attend. And so what will it be? Uh, I hope that it will be said of us that we as individuals, that we worship Jesus with all that we are in every moment, and everything that we do is set on that, not on being intimidated and threatened by Him, that as a church, that we are so in tune with what Jesus is doing that when He starts to come alive, that we welcome it, and we worship Him even more, that we're not threatened by what He might do in our church if he actually came alive in a way that we hadn't seen. We'll close in just a minute in a, in a song, but I'd like to pray for us before we leave. And again, I thank you for being here tonight. It's always good to see you. And I guess uh, for some reason there's more people on this side than there are on this. I, 
I notice, you know, I get to see your faces when I stand up here. It's kind of funny to me. You know, I, I, you know, I just look at the different expressions, and, you know, some eyes are open, some are closed. I know you're just praying if they're closed, and so, uh, you know, that's good. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's, let's pray together. We can all close our eyes now, and if, you know, if, if somebody's, you know, next to you, you may want to, you know, hit them to tell them in a minute they're going to have to wake up and leave. So let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you for showing us in the Scripture how much more there is to to the story that you've written, and God, how much, um, how much just stuff we can learn, and uh, God, I pray that we be challenged to to read your word, uh, to let it sink deep into our hearts, God, that each and every day, moment by moment, that we as individuals, and we as a church, would choose to worship you with all that we are, that our our, our words, our actions, our thoughts, that all that would be set on you, that we, we would not view you in any way as a threat but as the ultimate source of love and, and care and acceptance. And God, thank you for creating in, in us when we give our lives to you a, a brand new heart. Thank you for making us new, for changing us from the inside out, for meeting the needs that we didn't even feel. So God, we pray for our church that we would be a place that, that would desperately want to see you come alive and we'd welcome it and worship you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name.